I appreciate Delaney uh, coming for those songs. She's head, headed home for sick kids now. So. We're going to continue our study of Ecclesiastes if you want to turn there while we're getting set up. We're at the beginning of chapter 4 this morning. Ecclesiastes, beginning in chapter 4. Now I am, uh, I will tell you, I've always been very careful about talking politics from this pulpit. I just don't believe this is the time, the place, or the venue to have political discussion. And so I'm not going to talk about politics, but the verses that we're going to look at today do. They address politics. They address government. And, and so it's, they fit our time really well. God's good at this, at knitting together what we need to hear at the right time. And because right now, our, our political situation is terrible. We got one side blaming the other side for everything. We've got neither side taking any any responsibility or accountability. But it, it is just it's a horrible situation. And here's the thing, it's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. Remember that Solomon told us there's nothing new under the sun. And here's proof. Because Solomon's gonna tell us that government is broken. It was then, in the year, in the 10th century B.C., government was broken. It still is. Jill and I were, have been watching, a, uh, or did watch, a, a special on the presidents. And it was really interesting because, you know, by the second president of the United States, there was already a progressive wing and a conservative wing, battling it out for who was going to be president. On our second president, nothing new under the sun. The arguments that are going on right now in our political system are not new. There is nothing new under the sun. So let's read Ecclesiastes, starting in, in verse 1 of chapter 4. And it is up here behind me. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who were still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all the toil and skill and work came from man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity in an unhappy business. 
<clears throat> so you see, he talks about, the first thing he's, he says is that he finds oppression where fairness should be. Last week, he said he looked in the courts and found, uh, found wickedness where justice should be. And we talked about that last week. Now he finds oppression where fairness should be. This is, he's writing in the 10th century B.C. And government is broken. Now, here's the interesting thing. He's king. He could change it, couldn't he? He could just wipe out his cabinet. He could, he could fire them all or behead them all or whatever he decides and just, just change everybody out. The problem is Solomon is wise and Solomon's wisdom tells him the problem isn't in the government structure. The problem is in the hearts of the people in government. The problem is in the hearts of the people. <clears throat> we have this going on right now, and we think, well, Washington, D.C. is the problem. The problem is not Washington. The problem is our hearts. And I say our hearts because we have wickedness and oppression within us as well. Oppression is one of the, the oldest uh, uh, portions of human existence. It has always been. The strong have always oppressed the weak. Always. And they still do today. And we have this, it's easy to point fingers and say, well, it's them, it's them in Washington, when in fact, it's us. It's all of us. We have this in our hearts. We call it politics, and there's a couple of interesting, um, a couple of interesting definitions of politics. There was a comedian that said that we just have to break the word down. Poly meaning many, and ticks, little blood-sucking bugs. But there's also an actual definition that says the conduct of public affairs for private advantage. That's what we see today. Well, we see both today. But, <laughs> but we see the, the public affairs for private advantage. We see the rich and the powerful getting away with things we can't. We see oppression where fairness should be. We see this still in our government today, and it hasn't changed. And I'm here to tell you it won't change. If you want to save our government, then our government must become saved. That's the only answer. The heart transplant that happens when you come to Christ. That's the only thing that fixes our government. You want our government to be saved, then our government must become saved. It must make a commitment to Christ. Uh, David in Psalm 51 said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And that word create, it's it's, it's, it's ex nihilo creation. It's from nothing creation. So he's not saying cleanse my heart. He is saying create a new heart for me. That's what happens when we come to Christ. That's what our country needs. You want to save our government? Then get our government saved. Because that's the only thing that will matter. And then he says it's also in the heart of the businessman. He says I saw all the toil and skill and work come from man's envy of his neighbor. What Solomon sees is that this, this toil, this work, this honing of the skills of, of businessmen isn't to be a better man or to have a good business or to, no, it's just for envy 
of his neighbor. It's just so you have more than the, than the next guy. It's just to get more of what your neighbor has. That's all he sees. So it's, it's in the heart of the businessman as well. It's just as bad in business as it is in government. Why? Because mankind's heart is bent and twisted. Because mankind's heart has this problem. We have greed in our hearts. We have wickedness in our hearts. We have oppression in our hearts. And apart from Christ, that's who we are. And so when we, when we look at our, uh, our businesses, <clears throat> it seems today that all accountability and all responsibility is gone. It's just step on the other guy to get what you can get. That seems to be how businesses run these days. You want to save Wall Street? Then Wall Street must become saved. They need a heart transplant. They need the heart transplant that comes when you come to Christ. And then he says that our eyes are never satisfied. Solomon looks and sees the one who, who spends all of his time working. And he spends so much time working that he can't, doesn't have time left to enjoy the fruits of his labor because he's always working. We have, we have this issue in our culture. It may be in other cultures, but it's really bad in the American culture. Overworking, workaholics, we call them these days. It is just working and working and working, and it's all for the wrong reasons. Solomon has told us again and again and again that, that our work is a gift from God, that you have been given the skills and abilities and, and the opportunities to work because it's a gift from God. You know, Adam and Eve, we, we think work is a curse. Adam and Eve were given the work of tending to the garden before the fall. Work is not a part of the curse. Work is a part of the blessing. Work is good for us. And, and work allows us to use the skills and abilities and talents that God's given us. And, and as long as we see that, see our work as something God-given and a gift, as Solomon continues to tell us, he told us just the last verse of chapter 3, says, there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. If we see our work as something as a gift from God, then we have our work and we have our, our, the rest of our life. But what we have is the overwork today. We have the workaholic. And we have the other opposite end of the scale. We have the one who folds his hands and does nothing. Verse 5, the, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. So not working isn't the, the, uh, the cure or the, the, the way not to have this problem with overwork is not to go to lazy and idle. You can see he gives us these, this comparison of the two ends of the scale. The one who overworks and is working only because of, of envy of his neighbor's stuff and the one that doesn't work. And verse 5 is very descriptive, isn't it? eats his own flesh, folds his hands, and eats his own flesh. That's, uh, that's biologically accurate. If you stop eating, your body starts to eat itself. 
And it eats muscle first because that's the good stuff. That's where the energy's at. So it's biologically accurate, but that's not why it's here. He's, Solomon hasn't given us this as a scientific fact. He's giving us this to show idleness is not where it's at, nor is alcoholism or, or uh, workaholism. Neither, one of, neither, one of it, neither end of this scale is where it should be. What he gives us instead is verse 6, that are a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after a wind, after the wind. When a heart is controlled by greed and envy and, and competition for more, then it is a con in constant battle. The one who is idle and, and completely <clears throat> still, that heart's in battle also. The only way to have peace is to have what it describes here, a handful of peace and a handful of work. He's giving us the, the prescription for how to have a life that matters, that, that works. You need work, but it can't be all about work. And you need some idleness, some peace, but it can't be all about that either. There's a... Uh, there's between these two ends of the spectrum, there's a place where we should be, where we should be understanding our work as a gift from God. So what Solomon gives us here, what we need to understand for today, out of this, is we can see that, the, that what's going on in Washington, that's a spiritual battle. What's going on in Wall Street, that's a spiritual battle. These are hearts that need to be changed. These are hearts that have to be transformed by Christ because envy and greed and, and striving are in the hearts of mankind. They're in our hearts if we're apart from Christ. He shows us once again under the sun or apart under heaven, apart from God, this is what life is about. He even calls them, did you notice? He talks about the dead who are already dead. So he kind, of, he kind of intimates that there's dead that aren't dead yet. And that's the ones apart from God. Those are the ones that are physically alive and spiritually dead. They are living for this system, this rat race system. That's what they're living for. They have nothing more than to, than to, to work or to stay idle. They have nothing more than the politics and the oppression. We need a heart change in our country. We need God to act in our nation. We need God to act in our churches. We need God to act in us. Because our hearts have this capability of being stuck in envy and greed and being stuck in oppression. Our hearts have this, have this capability. We must know that apart from Christ, this is who we are. Colossians, Paul tells us in Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's what changes a heart. That's how we make sure that our 
our heart is not controlled by greed, by envy, by competition, by oppression, by being the strong or being oppressed by, uh, by the strong. Do everything in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what life should look like for us. We've had the heart transplant. If you know Christ, then you've had this heart transplant. You know that he died on, on the cross for your sin. He took your place on that cross. And, and that you are forgiven completely through his complete sacrifice. Do you need your heart changed this morning? Do you need a transformation this morning? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and just consider the question. You need a heart transplant today. A heart no longer run by oppression or greed or envy. A heart devoted to Christ. You can. It's a simple prayer. You can just follow along with me in your own words. Say, God, I have sin in my life. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. I've said things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus died in my place on that cross. He died so that I might live. So I ask you to, to forgive me because of his finished work on the cross. And I ask you to create in me a clean heart today. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you can let somebody know. Come and let me know. Double your name and let them know. Maybe this morning, as, as you look over the last couple of weeks, it's really been about getting stuff and working more to get more stuff. We have a, we have a problem in our, in our hearts because we, we spend money we haven't made yet to get stuff we don't need. Would you take this moment to ask for forgiveness and just to commit between you and God to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Take this moment right now. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for, for this view that the world we live in today isn't any different than what it's ever been. We ask you, Father, to forgive us where, where our hearts have been led by greed or envy or by competition with our neighbor. Forgive us and remind us of our commitment to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Remind us of this commitment in Jesus' name. Amen. So we don't have worship for the last song. So somebody want to pick one or are we just going to pray and go? All right, pray and go with you. Will you stand with me?
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you, Father, that, that we could be gathered in your name today. Keep us mindful of the commitments that we have made today. We thank you, Father, for the time that we had together, for the fellowship that we enjoyed. We thank you for Delaney and her and her commitment to worship this morning. As we go from this place, go with us and give each and every one of us an opportunity to show your love to somebody this week. For it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Yeah.